Hello, hello. Happy New Year. Welcome back to Storming the Gates, where we are doing a series through the book of Esther called For Such a Time as This. And it is apropos for the days we are living in. My name is Joni Scott, and I am your host today on Storming the Gates. This is Joni Scott, and I am happy to have you here today. I was just thinking about how when I started the book of Esther way back in October, I was planning to post a new episode every single day, and that was going to be a way to prepare and pray for what I knew would be a tumultuous election cycle. And that was very much on my mind then, and I felt, and I guess I still feel, pretty concerned for our nation. But reality hit with work and church and large family. I knew I could not do a broadcast each day. So I switched to bi-weekly and then to weekly because I wanted to make sure I'm providing good content. Well, I was praying about this at that time and I was sad because I realized I would not be done with the book of Esther before the election. And I felt like God spoke to me then and said, don't worry, he even seemed to chuckle. The book of Esther is going to be needed for a long time. And as he said that, I sensed even then, even though I wasn't sure what it meant, that this election would not be decided November 3rd, but would remain in play for some time after. Well, it has, because look at us, here we are. And it is now January 5th. The electors are supposed to be chosen tomorrow, and we still don't know the final outcome. I do listen to a lot of praying and prophetic people, and they believe strongly that against all odds, President Trump is going to prevail. Well, we see in Esther that God is on the side of his kingdom, and he longs to deliver his people. Our political bent is not the issue, but rather the issue is that God has his way in our land. And we don't know what that means. It might even mean captivity for a season, like it did in Esther's day. It might mean some difficulties are ahead. I've always thought, make me poor and needy, but please allow me to be free to worship God. You know, the pilgrims on the Mayflower came here desiring to raise their children with godly values, and they risked everything for that freedom. In fact, many of them did die. But our love of God and of his kingdom should be our continued prayer He just may answer in unusual and unexpected ways. We know that the story is being played out again. Esther is happening in our own courts and capitals. A struggle for power is ensuing. So what do we as Christians do? Well, we're called, as Esther was, to a deeper discipline of fasting, of prayer, and of intimacy with the Father. Alrighty, well, with all that in mind, let's move ahead in Esther. When we last left Esther, she had prepared a banquet for the king and Haman. And at the end of the feast, when the king says, Esther, what is it I could do for you? She refrains. Instead of saying, like, God, I I gotta save my people's life. No, she says, if I have found favor in the eyes of the king, you know. So she's very shrewd. And she asks the king and Haman to return the next day for yet another feast. Well, Haman, he leaves in high spirits. But let's look at verse 13. So he goes home and he gathers his wife and his servants and his wise men together. And he's telling them what a great day he had, how he was invited to his banquet with the king and with with the queen. And then he says in 5 verse 13, Yet all this avails me nothing. 
so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Hey, let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak to the king that Mordecai is hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily to the king and into the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. <laughs> well, when you look at this, you think it might seem that making a stand, as Mordecai did, against this evil person is not paying very good dividends. Not only is his entire nation now determined to be murdered, but he himself is supposed to be impaled on a pole come the morning. Now, Mordecai does not know any of this. He's likely snoozing peacefully away, just like Jesus, sleeping on the ship at sea during a storm. But I believe it's the effects of the fast that are working even as Mordecai sleeps. So let's go to chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. On that night, that same night, as those gallows are being built, on that night could not the king sleep. And he commanded to bring the book of records and of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. All right, so this is an interesting little coincidence. I believe the prayers and the fastings of God people have done this. I like to think God commanded some angels to, you know, tickle the king's feet and flick his head just a little bit to keep him awake. And one of them then whispers to the king, hey, you should have the records of your kingdom brought. That'll help you sleep. I mean, it's kind of like me. I listen to podcasts as I fall asleep every night. That's what I do to fall asleep. So it's the same idea. All right, so let's go on in chapter 6. And it was found written that Mordecai had told Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king as Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity has been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Well, there was nothing done for him. Well, the king said, Well, who's in the court? Well, let's get ready for another weird coincidence in verse 4. Now Haman, of all people, Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he'd prepared for him. And the king's servants said unto him, ah, Behold, a Haman stands in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Oh, now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to honor more than to myself? So Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rides upon, and the royal crown which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Then the king said to Haman, oh, Good idea. Make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew, 
that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that has been spoken. Can you imagine more? Haman's like, oh, this is wonderful. I'm going to get this great treatment. And instead, the very man he planned to kill, he gets to parade through the city. God's name might not be mentioned in Esther, but his presence is unmistakable. It is believed that perhaps while the Jews lived in Babylon, they were not allowed to inscribe stories of their God. They were kind of part of a cancel culture, right? So instead, they wove the presence of God into every line. So this was a crazy coincidence orchestrated by God. Then Haman, verse 11, took the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Well, Mordecai, in verse 12, comes back again to the king's gate. He is a humble sort of guy. Bible says Haman hasted to his house mourning, having his head covered. The man is embarrassed and humiliated. The next part is what I like to call Haman's uh-oh moment. Verse 13, And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai is of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him. Thou shalt surely fall before him. Can't you see Haman's face as they all say this? They were from supporting and believing in him, smiling and nodding and plotting and planning with him to take Mordecai down. And now when he tells this story, they begin to grimace and look down at their feet. What? What's going on? He asks, seeing their doleful looks. Um, we sort of forgot he's a Jewish man. This is not going to go well for you, dude. In fact, Zeresh says, before whom thou hast begun to fall. Satan is losing, is beginning to fall and lose his grip. As you fast, as you pray, as you worship the king, it may seem things get worse at first. But the truth is that behind the scenes, the enemy is falling. That's why he's thrashing so hard. It's like, you know, catching a crocodile. Go watch a video on YouTube of catching a crocodile. When they know they're in trouble, those fierce reptiles become especially angry and dangerous more than ever as they fight and thrash. But the thrashing of a swamp creature only demonstrates the fear. And it's the fear of Satan when he realizes a child of God has risen to stand against his schemes. Don't let go because, you know, you're holding on to a tough beast that's thrashing all around. When they begin to thrash, you know you're achieving victory. Our church has participated in fast each year. And we actually almost have some jokes because it seems like it's during those fasts, our appliances break, cars have problems, all kinds of crazy stuff takes place. There was one time, the worst, and I'll always remember it, we had a freezer full of meat my son had got from hunting. And we didn't discover it until the meat was rancid and bloody. That was the worst ever. Man, that devil was having a temper tantrum. I want you to know that when those things happen, you're winning. You're winning. Keep that in mind. Another way that the enemy thrashes is he tries to get in your mind with anger, discouragement, discontent. You might begin to feel, my situation is hopeless. What's the point? But slow down. Take a deep breath. 
That's just the enemy thrashing. God has a remedy for your impossible situation. Well, while they're yet talking with him, in verse 14, the king's chamberlains were hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. He's contemplating what they're saying, that he is beginning to fall before Mordecai. And as he's even thinking about this, he is taken away. And now, when he goes to this banquet, I don't think he's going with high spirits. He's like, oh no, I don't know what is going to happen. Well, we'll find out what happens in our next episode. But just know, God's at work. Don't be afraid of the temper tantrums of the enemy. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, I ask that the temper tantrums that the enemy is stirring up against the people of God will only cause them to be stronger in their faith, to know that you are there, you are with them, and that these are just um, thrashings, but nothing can defeat your purposes, your plans. You have called them forth for such a time as this. Lord, I pray that through your word today, that you will show them that you have good things in store and that they will be victorious and that this tide is going to turn and new events are going to unfold that will boggle their minds. Thank you, Lord, for the new year. We bless 2021. It might look crazy, Lord, but we know that you are in control, that you are not surprised, that you know what you're doing. And we call on your name to bless our nation, our land, your people, your churches, and our families. Amen. All right. Well, I'd love to hear from you on my Twitter account. Storming the Gat One is where you'll find me. Facebook, uh, my Facebook page is Faith and Fasting. I believe it's also Psalm 91 VS1. You can find me that way. Um, or go to my webpage, stormingthegates.net. I will see you there. And until then, be blessed.